Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back again to the program today and trust you are enjoying this series that we're doing out of the Gospel of John. It just has been a treasure trove of truth, to me at least, and I feel like probably helps so many people. We do encourage you, though, to, uh, you know, because we are teaching a series and it's weekly, you may forget some of the things that we are sharing uh, from week to week, but I want to let you know that you can go back and watch anything that we have aired to date. It is archived on YouTube, and also there is the audio portions of this on our podcast, our iTunes feed, and there is also a audio form of this for your Android device and RSS feed. The, make, the easiest way to make it simple is to go to my website at lenhouse.com. That's right on the screen. And in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons for our uh, YouTube channel, for our, uh, there's a little thing that looks like an, uh, an Android robot. You can click on that, or the podcast iTunes insignia. If you will simply click on that, it will take you directly to it, and you can it'd be, save you all the searching. If you sign up there as a subscriber, uh, what you'll find is that uh, when every time we upload something, you'll get a notification. All of that is free. We're not trying to get you to do that, to sign up or anything. It's free. Our partners have made that uh, available for you, and we want to make that available. It is literally reaching around the world, and, and people are watching in other countries. And, and, and I'll say this as well. I haven't said too much about it, but because we closed caption our program, and it's on YouTube, it translates in every language around the globe, so you can send it to your friends that speak perhaps even a different language than you and get the gospel out. We encourage you to share it on your Facebook page. We, we, we just want to get the gospel out. But that will also help you come bring you back up to date on where we're at in this series. I'm going to go back to John 4 today and see if we can go ahead and springboard again a little further. Uh, we've already done two programs on John 4, but we want to, we want to try to get down through this in, in at least four programs. So uh, watch over the next couple of weeks. Verse 1 says, when the, Therefore the Lord knew, this is John chapter 4, uh, verse 1, And when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself baptized not but His disciples, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is, that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, 
and drank there of himself and his children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go thy, go call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five, and whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidest truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship neither in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. And upon this came His disciples in marvel that He talked with a woman, Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith unto the men. Now I'm going to stop there and not read the rest of that just yet. Because I want to go back and look at several things. First of all, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now there's a reason why He needed to go through Samaria. Now I'm going to uh, take you back to some things that we dealt with when we were talking about Nicodemus. And we're going to go back to Ezekiel chapter 37 and show you some things that a lot of people think are in the future about Ezekiel's army and the wind that blows and the army that bone coming to bone, sinew to sinew, the army stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. When we were talking about Nicodemus, once again, just remember this. The, the whole purpose that we've talked about in, in this book is, he said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life through His name. That you might believe that He is the Messiah. Now I don't think Jesus plainly declared to hardly anybody, and maybe nobody else, I didn't really look this up to see, but He did not tell the rulers of the synagogue He was the Messiah. But He tells this Samaritan woman, she said, we know that Messiah is coming. She, he said to her, I that speak unto thee am He. He reveals Himself plainly to this Samaritan woman, because the purpose of this book is that believing you would have life through His name, that He in fact was the Messiah. Now when we talked about Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. What he's saying to him is, Nick, your natural genealogy is not enough. You must have a new birth in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus asks him the question, can a man that's old enter his mother's womb? And Jesus responds by saying, well, the wind comes and it blows. Actually, the word for wind there is the same word we translate spirit. He's talking about the spirit is the one that brings the change. Now let me go tell you that Nicodemus being a ta master teacher in Israel, Jesus says to him, 
are you a master teacher in Israel and you don't know the things I'm talking about? In other words, Nicodemus, you ought to know a Messiah is coming. Nicodemus, you ought to remember that when I'm talking about breath and breathing, that I'm talking about some things that was prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel that was about to happen, that would happen somewhere in, 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 in the future. And that would be uh, a fulfillment of this. And so, you know, when he comes down to, especially Ezekiel 37, he comes to the valley of dry bones. He says, can these bones live again? And he tells him, prophesy. He said, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you and I will bring upon flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when that wind began to blow, Verse number 9 said, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of men, and, and say unto the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, come, upon, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Once again, I believe Nicodemus could have been thinking about this scripture. And I'm going to show you that, that, that the context here fits with even the next chapter. And this is so vitally important. He's talking about breath here, and he's talking about wind, just like Jesus was telling him, Nicodemus, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you know not where it came. Jesus is the Son of Man who has now come on the scene to release the Spirit that I already shared with you in the last couple, couple segments, that this water He's going to give you is going to be the indwelling Spirit of God that's going to take up its abode within you. That's what's going to transform you. That's what's going to bring you into the new earth, and that's what's going to bring you into the kingdom of the Messiah that everybody thinks is somewhere out in the distant future. It was being made available to first century Jews and first century Samaritans, and he's giving them all of these signs and symbols so that they might believe that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the army that God was about to raise up was not a physical army that would revolt against the, uh, the Romans, but it was an army that would have his breath and his life in him that were a born-again bunch of believers that would, that would literally uh, see a rattling and everything began to come together. But I want you to see the latter part of this because this is what kind of catapults me into the next chapter. But the reason he must needs go through Samaria, let me read this to you from, I believe it was, this is Adam Clark's commentary. It said, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son. A city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. This city was anciently called Shechem. It seems to have been situated at the foot of Mount Gerizim, or Gerizim. I will talk about that in a later segment. In the provinces of Samaria, on which the temple of the Samaritans was built. Now the, te the, the Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerizim. And, uh, and, 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 and which, that's why the Samaritan woman said, our people said we need to worship here, and your people see it, we need to worship there. They had built a temple on Mount Gerizim. After the ruin of Samaria by Salmanezer, Sychar, or Shechem, became the capital of the Samaritans, and it continued so according to Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews, in the time of Alexander the Great. It was about 10 miles from Shiloh, 40, year, 40, uh, 40 from Jerusalem, and 52 from Jericho. It probably got the name of Sychar, which signifies drunken, from the drunkenness of its inhabitants. With, the, with this crime, the prophet Isaiah summarily charges the Ephraimite in Isaiah 28, uh, chapter, uh, or chapter 28, verses 1 through 8, within those limits the city stood. But this Mount Gerizim was also the place 
where when the children of Israel were given the law uh, at Mount Gerizim, uh, they would stand on there and declare the blessing. And from Mount Ebal, there would be some tribes that would declare the curse, and they would read them back and forth. So Jesus is coming to this mountain, and He's trying to show us, I believe, another symbol, and that is in the New Covenant. We are not up under the curse. We are up under the blessing, and we've come to a different mountain, and to a different temple, and to a new birth. Now let me also tell you that uh, uh, this, this is also from uh, Adam Clark's commentary, but he's reading from this, uh, this chapter in Ezekiel 37. Now let me read it from Ezekiel 37. Don't get bored with me and leave me. Stay with me. I think this is powerfully important. Ezekiel 37 verse 16 says, Thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim and for the house of Israel his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, What wilt what will, wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? He said, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks wherein thou writest shall be in thine hand before thy eyes. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and will bring them into their own land. And watch this, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall, shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more. Now let me just stop and read this to you from, uh, from Adam Clark's commentary from this chapter. He said, he said uh, where he's reading, moreover, take two sticks and put them together. Son of man, take thee one stick. The two sticks mentioned in this sim symbolical transaction represented, as the text declares, the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah, which were formed in the days of Rehoboam, and continued distinct till the time of the captivity. The kingdom of Judah was composed of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, now they'd split, with the Levites, and all the rest went off into the schism with Jeroboam and formed the kingdom of Israel. In other words, you can see this in the Chronicles and in the Kings. There was a division between the twelve tribes of Israel. Judah and Benjamin cleaved together and became what was known as the Jews, and the ten tribes split and ultimately became what was known as the Samaritans. And they were divided and remained that way until the captivity. They were divided. I want you to see that they were divided. Uh, and it goes on to say that it said they 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 uh, they formed and uh, the, those that split off went with Jeroboam and formed the kingdom of Israel. Though some of those tribes did not rejoin themselves to Judah, yet no whole tribe ever returned to that kingdom. Common sufferings in their captivity became the means of reviving a more kinder feeling one to another. And to encourage this, God promises that He will reunite them and restore them to their own land and that there shall be no more any division or feuds among them to represent this in such a way as would, have, would make it a subject of thought, reflection, 
reflection and inquiry, the prophet is ordered to take the two sticks mentioned above to write on them the distinguishing names of the divided kingdoms and then by a notch to dovetail and, and glue them or some such method to unite them both before the people. He did so on their inquiry, showed them the full meaning of this symbolic action. So what he's showing them in Ezekiel 37 with the rejoining of the two sticks is he's talking about bringing back together the divided tribes of Israel, because once they divided Jeroboam and Rehoboam, when the ten tribes went down there, they built their temple, followed some of the ideas of Judaism and law and legalism, and built their own temple and worshiped down there. And so here we are now where they are divided. But Jesus comes on the scene after he's dealt with Nicodemus, who's a ruler of the Jews, who has come to Jesus by night, and now he must needs go through Samaria. Why does he need to go through Samaria? Because he's about to join the two sticks together, because he's about to fulfill this messianic prophecy that one king shall be king over them all, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. This is Ezekiel 37 verse 22. And they shall no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all the dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And I want you to see this, because this can only be fulfilled by Jesus. And David, my servant shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. No wonder Jesus said to them, I am the, I am the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You thought those were the shepherds. They're not the shepherds, but I am the true shepherd of the sheep. He is the true son of David. He is the true king of kings that brings together both Jew and Gentile and even the divided kingdoms where they had mingled themselves with the seed of men and became what the Jews thought was a, a mixed breed of people. And Jesus is now coming to include some folks who they didn't think was included, and it is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel that he would bring them into one kingdom, and he would be uh, the shepherd over them, and he would gave it, and David, my servant, shall be king over them. It is no one. We see. I, I, I get so excited about this because I look back at some of the places in the scripture, and I see where he, they call him the, the blind Bartimaeus who represents the blind people of, 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 of the Jewish nation, cries out, hey, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized the son of David. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he's taking their Old Testament pictures. He's taking their Old Testament types and shadows. He's taking everything they would have understood and known and shown them so many different ways that he was in fact the Christ, and that what he was offering them was life through his name. The life that was being offered was life in the new covenant, lived in the kingdom of God, out of a relationship with God as Father, living it out of not some servant-slave mentality, but out of a fellowship with God as Abba. He's the fulfillment of this. He was the, and David my servant, 
shall be king over them. And that's not just something in the future. That's something offered right now and was offered to the first century in the transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he says, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, when your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell there, and even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be prince forever. I'm telling you the land we live in is not a piece of real estate. It's Hebrews 4. It's rest in the finished work. We've showed you throughout this whole book what he keeps trying to show them. Is you're looking at natural things. And I'm, I, what I'm concerned about is the church still is. We still keep looking for a natural temple in the Middle East when you don't even know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on down here, and, and, and as a matter of fact, he quotes, uh, uh, Paul the Apostle quotes in 1 Corinthians 6, this scripture when he says, what know you not, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as he's trying to show them you're looking at natural things, and God is trying to bring it into spiritual things. Under the old covenant you had natural sacrifices, in the new covenant you've got spiritual sacrifices. In the old covenant you had a natural temple and tabernacle, in the new covenant you're the spiritual temple. In the old covenant you had a natural priest, in the, in the new covenant you've got a spiritual priesthood. In the old covenant you, you, you had natural bread. In the new covenant you've got spiritual bread. In the old covenant you had natural water. In the new covenant you've got spiritual water. In the old covenant you've got a natural Jew. In the new covenant you've got a spiritual Jew. In the old covenant you had a natural Jerusalem. In the new covenant you've got a new Jerusalem. Do you get the flow of this? He is trying to show them everything that he's doing by symbol and by type. Even in John's gospel, every miracle, everything he does is precisely orchestrated by the Holy Ghost that should have woke up something in the minds of these people that they should believe. That's why he's saying to Nicodemus, are you a master teacher in Israel and you don't even know these things? You ought to know this verbatim, man. You're the teacher. You're the top dog. You're the most, you're the doctor. And you don't know these things. And he's reiterating to us. He gets a revelation of it. I think Nicodemus ultimately becomes a follower of Jesus because he comes to beg the body of Jesus. Comes with, I believe it was, he's involved with uh, the rich man who, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and, and some of the, the, the rulers of the synagogue followed him. I think maybe Nicodemus believed. I think he probably got a clue. But he goes on to say, and, and these, are, uh, these are only things that can be fulfilled messianically by Jesus. He said, and they shall dwell, they, uh, and David will be prince over them forever. Jesus is the only one that you can say that about. Moreover, verse 26, Ezekiel 30, 37, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Now that's only talking about the new covenant. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. You ought to be Bible scholars enough to realize the everlasting covenant is the new covenant that He made through His blood. I will make an everlasting covenant. I'll bring you a, 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 an everlasting covenant. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. No wonder Jesus said to them, I must needs go through Samaria. And no wonder Jesus would say to the woman at the well when she said, our fathers say you need to worship here, and we say you need to worship there. And Jesus said, the hour is coming when you'll neither worship there or here. 
but they that worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth because the new temple God is building is not in a geographical location. He said, I'm going to set my sanctuary. He said, I'll make an everlasting covenant. I'll place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. And my tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. And it's one of these verses that Paul the Apostle quotes in Isaiah, out of uh, in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to set my tabernacle in the midst and you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. I believe that one of the things he's saying here to them is, I'm doing this specific thing of going through Samaria to show you that this is the fulfillment of the rejoining of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin with the ten tribes. And the inclusion of both Jews and the mixture which they thought to be Gentiles, but to bring together out of twain, if you will, one new man making peace, that the gospel includes the empty religious folks as well as it includes people that we didn't think was included before. And in the next segment, that's what I'm going to talk about. But what he does then is he reaches out through this woman at the well who leaves Jesus and says, come see a man who told me all things so ever I've done. Is this not in fact the Christ? And Jesus reveals to that woman when he doesn't even do it to, to Jewish leaders, he says to them, or he says to this woman at the well, this woman says to him, we know Messiah comes. He said, I that speak unto thee and he. I'm the guy you've been looking for. I'm the guy that's going to unify back together in one all things. I'm the guy that's going to be the son of David who's going to rule over the king. I'm the guy who's going to bring back unity and peace and a covenant of joining back together. And he looks up and sees all of these men of Samaria come and he says, the harvest is white unto harvest and the labors are few, but pray that the Lord of the harvest will send labors into the vineyard. And a woman came to a well she finds a well sitting on top of the well, who was Jesus, and then she becomes a well and says, come and see a man who told me all things ever I've done. He's the one that's about to bring it all back together in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and become that tabernacle in the midst, that it's not about where you worship, it's about the Spirit coming inside of you and you becoming the temple of God and the kingdom of God and living your life out of the new covenant. I'm telling you, those are powerful things that were fulfilled. And now when I see these prophetic things fulfilled from the Old Testament, being fulfilled in Jesus' day, I want to stand back and say, why didn't these people grasp this and say, aha, He in fact is the Christ. Let us follow Him. But we are so stuck on our religious beliefs that we can't change. But I believe that's changing. We're out of time, and I want to thank you for joining us. I'm going to try to at least do one more segment on this. And I want to tell you some more about why I think you need to go through Jerusalem. But if you like, if you like what we're saying and you want to get behind it, we do encourage you to call the number on the screen. The easiest way to do it is go to our website, and there's a place there that's a, where it says give. 
You can give via credit card. You can give text message. It'll come up on the screen if you'd like to text a gift. You can set up a monthly debit if you would like to. They are give a one-time gift. Uh, or you can write a check or money order sent to the address on the screen. Thank you for your help. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.